1: you're listening to family feud part of the paris style podcast family they might not be brother and sister but they sure do fight like they are here's your hosts keely or and shotgun Spratling.
0: Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. I'm Keely, or joined by Chris Trevino for a special episode. It's actually an interview episode, the first out of uh, almost 90 episodes of the Family Feud Podcast, so this is definitely a switch for us. But I'm very excited to have Brett Nilon, USC starting center, as our first guest. Chris, you actually brought him in as our interview.
1: I brought him into the firm, <laughs> I brought him into the firm. And I want it on record that I brought in the first guest for the Family Feud podcast. But this isn't going to be normal, like you said. It's going to be a little special. It is special because it's our first guest. Yes. But it's special because we're getting outside of USC football for a little bit. Because we're going to be talking about Brett Nealon's secret life as a sports card collector, investor, broker, whatever you want to call it. Um, and then we're going to talk about USC football. But I'm excited because we're going to talk a little bit about his his hobbies.
0: Yeah, this actually started, there's an origin story to why Brett actually came on the show, and we'll get into that. But I'm excited to talk to him. He's a great person to interview whenever we've had media scrums and whatnot. So without further ado, let's get into the heart of the interview. All right, I'm really excited to welcome on our first guest on the Family Feud podcast, USC Starting Center, Brett Neilon. Brett, thanks so much for coming on.
2: Yeah, thank you guys for having me. And I'm honored to be the first guest ever on this <laughs> podcast, so I appreciate you guys choosing me.
0: Of course. Well, I need to tell you why we chose you. Um, so Chris and I were texting one day, and no context, he sends me a YouTube link to a card vlog and just sends me a timestamp. And he goes, am I crazy? Or And I'm like, what is he sending me? So I click on this, not knowing what I'm going to see. And all of a sudden, I see you in like a card uh-huh. deal, and I was like... Is that Brett Nealon? It was very crazy just to see. It
1: was incredibly surreal for me because I – because we're going (laughs) to talk a little bit about sports cards because I uncovered him, his secret life as a sports card dealer, broker, investor, shark. I don't know what (laughs) – I don't know what you like to go by, Brett, but uh, we're going to talk a little about your secret life.
2: Yeah, I like the uh, – I'm a collector at heart, um, but, you know, over the years – or yeah, I guess it's been two years now. I I, I guess an investor and dealer, so I'm kind of all of the above, but definitely a collector at heart. I just love sports. So
1: yeah, when did you actually start the journey as a collector? I'm sure it was a kid like me yep. going to, going to card shops, picking out what you liked, building up a little collection that way. Uh, so how yep. how did you get into it?
2: Yeah, I think I'm I'm not exactly sure how it started, but you know, I loved going to the card shop as a kid and like begging my mom, can I get a pack at Target? And, you know, all the, all the things, you know, I like Pokemon, I like Yu-Gi-Oh, um, but I love sports cards. And I've always wanted to go to this one sports card shop by my house. It's actually still there. Probably been, been there for 20, 25 years. It's called MVP sports cards. Um, you know, I would save up, you know, 50, $60 and, begged my mom, you know, can you take me? And I'd get a, I'd get a box and uh, open it. And I just loved keeping up um, with, uh, you know, all the, all the recent players. And I loved collecting, you know, I, I was actually big into baseball and I loved collecting, you know, Vladimir Guerrero, um, Ryan Howard, you know, all the big guys at the time. Um, and then, and about two years ago, I, I was just kind of bored one day browsing on YouTube and you know, I saw a video of a guy opening up packs, and I was like, huh, you know, I'm, I I have a hundred dollars, I I'm gonna go buy you know a box to open and kind of just skee ball from there.
1: As a, as a kid, do you remember what your first big like? card you saved up for? Like, for me, I, I distinctly remember... Because I was into baseball too early, but I like the old stuff. And yeah. I distinctly remember yeah. saving up to buy a 1961 Roger Maris card. Like, that was the thing I wanted <laughs> so badly. Every time I came in the shop, like, I gotta save, gotta save, gotta save. Do you remember what, like, your yeah. fifth save-up was?
2: Yeah, so back in the day, I was actually big into vintage baseball, too. Um, You know, I know all those guys' stats and stuff like that. And it was actually a 1952 Ernie Banks rookie card um, that my dad and I did on eBay for. I think it was like 350 bucks, but, you know, as a kid, that was like, wow, you know. <laughs> um, so that, that was the one card that stood out to me.
0: So I guess as someone who is not <clears throat> into the, the card uh, trading business, if you will, or at least it's not a hobby for me, how would you explain to someone yeah. why it's so exciting and, and why – I Chris has told me it's kind of taken off exponentially in the last couple of months right
2: yeah probably, probably the past like year or so it's really shot up big time
0: what makes it so exciting for you
2: I um I would say there's a few reasons so I'm not a big sports gambler myself um but I watch you know if there's any basketball game, soccer football uh even sometimes baseball you know I'm, I'm watching I'm invested I, you know I love it and I don't know, to me, I'm just not like someone that would throw $100 on say the Lakers winning and then they lose. And so for me, I would rather just go buy a LeBron James card and kind of just, I don't know, you kind of like invest into the player's season and their career. Um, So I think that's kind of been a big, big driving factor. And then I think also just having like a physical rare card is something that people want, you know, it's a tangible asset, You, you know, you have a million dollar one of one logo, man, LeBron, you know, that's the only one in the world. And it's kind of like a art piece that you can brag to your friends, like, Hey, I got this super rare LeBron rookie card. And um, so I think that kind of factors in. And then also just, you know, the social media aspect, it's super easy to transact and get deals done. Um, That wasn't there, you know, 10, 15 years prior. So, I think a lot of things have led up to it, and um, it's a super interesting topic, in my opinion.
0: Yeah.
1: Do you compare it to almost like a stock market with these cards being traded and handled like that?
2: Yeah, I think I think people have tried to make it, um, you know, more of a stock market where you can see, you know, current prices like by the minute or whatnot. Um, I think it's getting there, but I also think it just differs because you know, you have certain rare pieces that, uh, you move offline and they move for a of thousands of dollars. And I just don't think it's something that, uh, you could track like the stock market. Um, so it's, it's, it's interesting, but I think for the more common cards, yeah, I think you can easily, you know, put them, put them like the stock market.
1: Now I want to ask, you can share as much or as little as you want, but I kind of want to ask what have been some of your biggest flips or your biggest finds in in this hobby as as the investor that you are the shark that mm-hmm. you are
2: so i would say my first big flip was i went to a show here in la i bought a kobe bryant autograph and a what was it a, a luca rookie and i think a lebron like just a base all graded and the guy gave me a really good deal so i was like okay I'll, i was kind of nervous at the time i think i don't know maybe i paid. 1500 for the pair for the three and i ended up flipping them for i don't know two thousand dollars and i was like wow like this is this is crazy you know this is amazing and after that i kind of just you know went all in into the hobby and um my biggest flip has netted me a five-figure profit for sure wow um so it's uh it's pretty cool you know to be able to do that where it's a free market and you know, you can buy something from someone and then an hour later, you know, find a buyer that'll pay you a couple thousand extra for it. So
1: how good of a negotiator are you?
2: I have gotten pretty good at it. You know, Um, I'm a, I'm a big social guy. You know, I love to talk to people. Of course. Of course. Um, You know, I I, I love to actually get to know someone and I, I think relationships are huge in the hobby and just in life in general. So, um, you know, I've gotten pretty good at negotiating. I'm I'm pretty relaxed on my end, but but also firm at the same time. And uh, sports cards have definitely definitely helped my negotiation skills uh, tremendously because that's that's what it's all about. You know, trade, and buying a card and selling a card, you, you're constantly negotiating and trying to figure out a happy medium for both parties. So
0: do you ever get recognized when you're doing these negotiations? Like, do you have like a double life where people don't really know your USC football side, or is this something you can like flex in a negotiation? Like I'm also a football player. Uh,
2: Yeah. Most people, you know, I'd say, you know, a lot of my buddies know, obviously just because they know me personally. Mm -hmm. I also have have an Instagram that's football guy USC. So
1: I I, I kind of expose
2: myself, but yeah, I mean, I think most people know, and then people, you know, see a big guy, and sometimes they're wearing SC gear or whatnot. So uh, sometimes they stick out, but I'd say most people, most definitely most, most people in the community around at least Los Angeles kind of know.
1: How how aware are your teammates of you as this as this card guy?
2: I think as of recently, it's kind of come out. Um, I put a few of my teammates uh, onto the card game. Um, a few have gotten pretty heavily into it, uh, but I think I would say a good amount, No, maybe, I don't know, maybe 20, 20, 20 kids, maybe 30. I, it's not something I, I talk about. Like I was actually kind of embarrassed about it at the start, but, <laughs> um, you know, now I love it and I'll talk about it openly for sure.
1: Look, when, when you're making five-figure deals, you got nothing to be embarrassed about.
2: Yeah, there's no embarrassment there. <laughs> yeah. I think once that kind of came, it uh, was less embarrassing.
1: You don't have to name names, but has anyone on the team like maybe tried to learn from you or maybe thinking about getting into it as well?
2: Yeah, there's uh, a few O-linemen that have <laughs> uh, kind of, I guess, asked me for some advice. And uh, one other has gotten pretty, pretty serious about it. Maybe like six to eight months ago, he, he really invested heavily and he loves it.
1: You're a trendsetter. You're a trendsetter. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to ask, this is like a two-part question. Is there a, like a grail card you're after right now in your life that you're trying to get? Mm-hmm. And what is like the prized card of your personal collection right now? Like something you wouldn't yeah. sell, like it's, it's staying in, in the vault.
2: Yeah. So I recently acquired an Ichiro SP authentic rookie PSA 10 um, that, you know, I, and I also have an, I also have Ichiro's Bowman Chrome Refractor Rookie PSA 10, which, so I grew up in Japan for some reason. I, I just loved Ichiro, and I always wanted his stuff, but it was just way too expensive for me as a kid. So when I first got in about two years ago, I, I bought the Bowman Chrome one right away. I didn't even care the price. And then I just recently acquired the SP Authentic, um, which was a pretty big grail card for me. Um, so I love Ichiro, and I also have a little um, Contenders football uh, personal collection. You know, I have Reggie Bush, Matt Liner, Lendell White, nice. uh, Troy Palmalu. So all those guys, you know, that um, are kind of my football heroes. I collected, and um, yeah, kind of, kind of the money, it doesn't matter to me there. That's just for my collecting purposes. Um, but I would say my Grail cards um this overall would be my um 2008 top chrome kobe refractor psa 10 that i found at one of my first shows i think i bought it for 100 dollars raw graded it myself it's now worth about five figures um but the image is is what really is cool you know it's obviously kobe's card um but he's being guarded by lebron james and oh, yes. in, the, in his cavaliers uniform so I just kind of yeah. gravitate towards that card and I just I just love it cuz they're both Lakers and obviously Kobe is one of the most tough and fierce competitors out there and so is LeBron so this is just a cool card for me. Absolutely.
0: For sure. How much research do you have to do before you go to a card show?
2: Yeah, I mean I I, I obviously have my card account. I'm obviously, you know, tracking eBay on my free time and talking to people on my free time. Um, but for card shows, I, I sometimes just even like going just so I could do a little bit more research and kind of see what people are buying and, you know, talk to people and see how they're feeling and um, just kind of watch what's going on and maybe, you know, sometimes make a deal or whatnot. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm always kind of researching and keeping my eyes out.
1: Let's say someone's listening to this very special podcast right now and... Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they collected as a kid and maybe they want to do what you do. They want to get into it. Mm-hmm. What, what advice would you give to someone who's just maybe doesn't know a lot, maybe collected as a kid, maybe has some cards, but nothing mm-hmm. like crazy? What what yeah. advice would you give for them, you know, starting out now?
2: I would say do a lot of research. Talk to a lot of people that have been in the hobby because obviously it's evolved now and um, there's lots of money to be made or and there's lots of money to be lost now um Study the market trends. I think that's something that you know it's a simple thing, but people overlook it. Um, you know, look, look, what time of year a certain sports gets hot and what time of year it gets cold, and you know, buy when it's buy when it's cold, but and sell when it's hot. Um, and and just have fun and collect the cards you like and enjoy, because at the end of the day, that's what that's what the hobby is about.
1: Absolutely. Uh, one of my last questions is, and I'm excited to ask this, do you own any of your own cards? Because I know there are some Brett Nealon cards out there, some autos oh. when you did the, uh, yeah. the All-American Bowl. I know you guys yeah. had to sign all those cards. So do you own any of your own cards? Do people come up to <laughs> get you to sign those cards?
2: Yeah, so I, a couple of my buddies ended up buying them from eBay and stuff, and <laughs> they'll send me the pictures, and uh, it's pretty funny. Um, you know, they support me, but... The Army Bowl actually gave us, like, a little stack of our own cards,
0: huh.
2: um, you know, after the game. And I ended up signing them all. Um, and then I, I kind of plan on just kind of handing them out or when I do a deal, you know, throw it in the package. So <laughs> nice. I, I have it stacked, but they'll slowly be gone.
0: You got to release them slowly so the market's not oversaturated. Exactly.
2: <laughs> but uh, I, actually, I actually graded a few of my own just to have. I gave them to my dad. Um, oh, just like that's as good. a cool piece to have. So I thought that was pretty pretty fun to do. What
1: a, what a flex just to throw in your own card yeah. in a deal. <laughs> the top yeah. like, Here you go. It's, it's definitely me. a
0: flex. Yeah.
2: It's k- you know, it's kind of like a, a little business card for me, I guess, in a <laughs> way. You absolutely. Know? Absolutely. What a yeah. unique
0: business card. Do you have any purchases <laughs> you regret? Is that a thing? Um,
2: Let's see. Oh, I, I bought a lot of um, Michael Porter Jr. I still think he's a really good player, but I lost quite a bit of money on him. <laughs> um, so there, there is you know downside um, to to certain players. You know if they don't perform or um, they're not just kind of in the in the national spotlight, or you know they get hurt or stuff like that. So there definitely is risk, and but I, I still think Michael is a great player, and I still have a lot of his cards. So I think hopefully he'll pan out here soon.
0: So in that sense, you kind of have to be a scout and see like who's gonna, whose card is gonna have more value later on.
2: Yeah, exactly. And uh, you know, a lot of you know the Jordan, LeBron, and Curry, and Tom Brady, and all those guys have gotten super expensive. And um, you know, if you really believe in a young player and um, you know buy them for cheap and you know hope they have a few good games or a really good season, you know those cards can fly up. T- 10, 20 X and we saw that kind of with Patrick Mahomes who was Mm, super cheap, super, super cheap. And people made tens of thousands of dollars on him. So I I do like that aspect as well, you know, prospecting and, um, you know, watching football games. Um, I like investing in quarterbacks, you know, just watching how they play. and, And, and then, and then again, it's, I don't like gambling. So that's kind of my form of, gambling, if you would say.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Are yeah.
1: you mad that there's not more collectibles in offensive linemen <laughs> trading cards?
2: Yes. I am actually pretty <laughs> upset about that. Um, I still want, you know, Joe Thomas rookie card. I want a Tyrone Smith, but they're just so hard to find. And and, and I actually, I, I keep looking out for Austin Jackson rookie card. Oh. Um But... You know, Panini won't doesn't have any. There, there's no love for the O linemen No love. Um, hope, it's terrible. Yeah, ho- hope hopefully Elijah Barrett Tucker gets one. Or, mm-hmm. um, so we'll see, but I hope they do make something.
1: Absolutely. I and I just need to throw it out there. I recently picked up a Michael Pittman rookie card. So yeah, pretty stoked about nice. that one. Look at that. Yeah.
0: Well, Brett, transitioning to what our listeners are probably more familiar with, USC football. Yeah. Uh, how are what are workouts going so far?
2: Man, they are very tough. Um, I, I, they're 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 very different. They're more explosive. I think more football specific strength things. Um, they're they're hard. They're grueling. They're they're really challenging us as a team and. I think it's, it's making kids closer and, um, I think you're going to see us in a lot better shape and, uh, mentally tough too.
0: Yeah. We've heard some good reviews so far about Robert Steiner jr. What have you taken away from his program so far?
2: Yeah. I mean, he, he's on top of his stuff. Um, you know, when we go in for our running and lifting session, which is usually about, I think it's, I think it's a two hour block, you know, we're not wasting a minute. Um, Doing anything, you know, if if you're lifting bench, you know, you're doing a core exercise, or you're doing a um, a, a band stretch, you know, you're not you're not wasting a second. Um, it, it's go 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 for the full two hours, and um, it's good stuff. I, I think it's going to make us better football players for sure.
0: Yeah, you mentioned the min- mental toughness aspect. How has it <laughs> stretched you mm-hmm. there?
2: Yeah, so we have uh, mat drills which happen. Um, Every Wednesday, and it's, you know, you're rolling around, and you got to be sharp. The whole team's got to be locked into the drill. Um, you know, they'll they'll keep sending you back until you get it right, and you know, it, it encourages people to be super engaged. You know, encourage each other, um, and then you know they'll do um, little like competition type things after a lift, or you know, flip a tire down the field, band back. You know, push a sled, or uh, just just things like that. You know, when you think it's over, it's not over. So I think that is kind of like the mental toughness part that's been pretty big for us.
0: Makes sense.
1: Obviously, you're a veteran of this O-line group. Um, what have you seen from that from that big freshman class that came in last year? You know, probably like a full year now on campus. You know, Jonah, yeah. uh, sorry, Cortland, um, all those guys. What have you seen from the, those young guys? Yeah
2: yeah, they're, they're, uh, extremely hard workers and, uh, they're great football players and they're working super hard in the weight room and, um, you know, they, they do everything right and they're good people to have in the room for sure. Um, so it's, it's been great to have them and I think they'll all be phenomenal football players.
1: Obviously, Robert Steiner was not the only change for the football team, specifically for you guys mm-hmm. on the O-line. Um, did, I know you were yeah. very close with uh, Coach Tim Drevno when he recruited you. Yeah. Uh, you were in he, Michigan was one of your finalists, and obviously he was here. Uh, what was kind of reaction to you know that change?
2: Yeah, I mean it was, uh, you know, it was sad to, to see Coach Drev go, and but you know it, it it is what it is, and at the end of the day, we got to get better. And Coach McGuire, we we obviously haven't spent too much time with him yet, but he's been awesome and. Uh, super knowledgeable about the offense you know coming from Washington State uh, he knows his stuff he's a great guy and has a lot of knowledge so I think we're all super excited to you know get more time with him and uh, get get the ball rolling.
1: Can you recount your first like interaction with him you individually or as, as yeah, an so, o- O-line unit?
2: Yeah so he actually this was over a winter break when when we were home but um, I was laying in bed and then I heard my phone buzz and I I looked and it said Coach McGuire, Washington State because I actually still had his number saved from when he recruited <laughs> me at Washington State. That's great. Um, so I thought that I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, he, he I guess he hasn't changed his number since then, <laughs> um, but yeah, he was just we were talking and um, you know he's super fired up to coach us and super excited so.
0: This is now the second consecutive season where you guys have to replace an all Pac-12 tackle. What is that like for you mm-hmm. on the offensive line trying to get that continuity and, and trying to find that, that next guy up?
2: Yeah, I think uh, you know having some veterans on the line with me, I think that'll help. And uh, we just got to push the young guys to compete and you know be, be super invested in, in football and just put in the extra and uh, just, just have fun this spring and just get better. I think, uh, you know, for spring, I think we we can all improve technically and just listen to Coach McGuire's words and just, uh, you know, he's he's super fo- technique focused and I think that's going to help us tremendously. And and you know, whichever young guy steps up, it's it's uh, it's going to be a positive thing.
0: Do you have any ideas of who's going to be that left tackle? <laughs> Are you willing to share? I I
2: did I do not, but I mean, we have a lot of talent and a lot of guys that can step up. So um, it should be exciting, and whoever steps in there is going to do a a really phenomenal job.
0: There was a lot of talk last season about the run game. How much do you think uh, changing to Clay McGuire, someone who's familiar with the air raid schemes, how will that help Mm -hmm. uh, the the run game?
2: I I think it's going to help tremendously. Um, You know, we obviously we haven't spent much time with him, but just looking at his track record of what he did at Washington State, um, they they rushed the ball tremendously and they're super effective, super efficient, and um, you know that that's going to tr- translate to the USC team. and And um, we're we're gonna run we're gonna run the ball and we're gonna want to run the ball and we're gonna uh, do it at a high level. So I, I'm excited that he, he clearly knows his stuff and. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm excited.
1: A guy who's not new and has been there and is going to his third season with you guys is QB Keaton Slovis. Uh, what are your yeah. expectations for him? You know, some people say that that junior year for a quarterback is the big year where they where they make that yeah. jump. What, what are what are your kind of expectations for him, and what what have you seen out of him during these you know these workouts so far?
2: Yeah, um, he's, he's going to step up. He's going to be a leader for us. He's going to lead us to a championship and. Uh, I think he's going to have an amazing season, and uh, we, we got to give him the time. we got to do everything that we can as an O-line to help him, you know, push us to that championship. And um, I'm excited for him. He's obviously a phenomenal player, and uh, I think he's going to really succeed this year and and do big things.
0: So I think the craziest part for me about the 2020 season was that not a lot of people or fans really knew what you guys had to go through. And obviously, uh, your position group had a lot to go through uh, through a stretch. Mm -hmm. What was that like for you guys? We've heard from Graham Harrell that you didn't really practice heading into that game. What was that like?
2: Yeah, so, you know, we had a few positives um, and then that led a few positives actually on the O-line. And then we had to be, most of us had to be quarantined for, I think it was 14 days, yeah, or 10 days, something like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so then we canceled the Colorado game, and um, you know they delivered workout equipment to our rooms, and we were pretty much just lifting in our room, um, you know, for 10 days or or 14 days, I think it was. Um, and then, you know, that Saturday they're like, when we got cleared. They pretty. It should have been a walkthrough, but they're like, "Hey, throwing some pads. Like, you guys got to go." You know. <laughs> wow. Um. So we had a a brief little hitting practice, and that was that. And then we played.
0: What was that like for you mentally? You're like in isolation, and then suddenly you're playing a game. That has to be a hard switch to make.
2: Yeah, it definitely was pretty weird, and I don't know. It was just kind of like surreal. I guess you're just like sitting in your room. and It's like, oh let's go to the Collie and we got to play Washington state. So, yeah, I mean, it was, and, and I guess, you know, we didn't really have, we were watching film obviously, but we didn't have any, like, we, we obviously weren't lifting heavy weights and doing all that because we were, um, you know, we just had like a little dumbbells and little kettlebells and whatnot. So wow. yeah, it was just different. It was just like surreal. And then you walk into the Collie, there's no fans. Um, just different. I, I don't even know. It was just, like, a, a blur, honestly.
0: Oh, I'm sure. You mentioned no fans. Yeah. How much did that bond you guys in the sense that, like, when you're celebrating, you're only celebrating with your team? Like, what was that experience like?
2: Yeah, obviously there's pros and cons to it. And, yeah, I think it just made us tighter because, you know, it was only just us us versus the other team at the end of the day. And um, I, I, in some respects, it's kind of cool, you know, to – have that where it was just like us versus them, and nothing else mattered—not not not the fans or anything. So I think it bonded us and made us tighter, and it was fun to you know get to talk to guys on the field and kind of celebrate with just ourselves and nothing else mattered. You know, just just our team.
0: Does that mean the trash talk was also louder since there wasn't any crowd noise? Was that a thing? Yeah,
2: yeah. I think I think it was like more. Um, yeah, it was definitely, there was definitely more trash talking, and um, in some respect, you know, it was more fun, you know, you could actually hear everything that was going on, and and whatnot, so.
0: What was it like for you guys? I think the nickname you guys got was the Cardiac Kids. What was it like being a part of so many last-minute wins?
2: Yeah, it was was cool. Um, You know, I think at the end of games, you really saw how tight-knit of a group we are, and that we never give up, and uh, that we truly do play for one another, and um, you know that's the culture that Coach Hilton has set up. And um, you know sometimes we not, uh, might not be playing our best, but at the end of the day, we're we're ne- we're going to play till the final whistle, and we're going to give it our all. So
0: now, because of the COVID season, your whole schedule is kind of shifted. You're having a later spring camp. Mm-hmm. What's that like for you? Is that going to be weird, mm-hmm. kind of juggling a, a later spring camp?
2: I think I think it'll be. Um uh, maybe a little bit weird. Um, but I think it's actually been super beneficial to, you know, get our bodies back in shape and obviously with this COVID craze still pretty strict in California, um, you know, things have obviously been different with lifting and practice and whatnot. So I think maybe pushing it back a few weeks and you know, just really allowing us to get that time with Coach Steiner and just getting our bodies and um you know, back into shape and, and ready for swing, though I think that's going to be pretty beneficial and I, I don't think it really matters the timing.
1: Are there any uh, goals that you want to accomplish this spring?
2: Yeah, I think just, you know, obviously I had my ankle injury last season and, um, I, I just want to get a hundred percent healthy and just get into better shape and, um, I think, I think th- those are my, my goals is to just lose some body fat and get into better shape and uh, be ready for spring.
0: Well, Brett, any final thoughts, anything you want the Trojan family to know about this upcoming spring camp before we let you go?
2: The spring camp is going to be competitive, and it's going to be fun, and I'm, I'm really excited for this upcoming season, and I think we're in store for, for big things, so I'm excited.
0: Awesome. Well, we wish you the best going forward and thanks so much for being our first guest on the Family Feud podcast. Yeah, thank you guys. That was
2: a lot of fun.
0: Well, Chris, that was fun. I like talking to Brad.
1: Yeah, that was fun. We need to have more guests on. I hope people could feel how much fun we were having in the podcast and I hope they enjoyed listening to this, uh, this special episode.
0: Yeah, and I didn't put this at the top, but be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also email us your questions or submissions to the show at familyfeudpod at com. If you have a guest in mind that you want us to to host on this podcast, be sure to let us know. We love um, trying to make your ideas come true, so be sure to do that. But that's going to wrap it up for a special interview episode of the Family Feud podcast. Chris, any final thoughts before we wrap this one up?
1: I don't really have any thoughts.
0: <laughs> Ever.
1: I'm still cousin of the pod.
0: You could add this to your application.
1: Yeah. This is a big flex. This isn't going on the tombstone, but it's going on the resume.
0: Okay. it's understandable.
1: That's fair.
0: Alrighty. That's going to wrap it up. That's Chris. I'm Keely. We'll see y'all next time.